With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here are your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. Welcome to Inside the Tour. I'm Nina Pantic, and I'm joined by Irina Falcone. Hey, guys. And we're going to be dissecting the U.S. Open. The final just finished a few days ago, and um, I'm still kind of sitting in shock over it. So we're going to talk about that, the Serena Naomi Osaka match, of course. And we're going to talk to a U.S. Open champion in mixed doubles, Bethany Maddox-Sands, later in this podcast. So make sure you stick around for that. But let's start with the U.S. Open final, just because I was there. Like I was courtside. Um, media gets these pretty nice seats, I gotta, I gotta admit. Um, so I was there for it, and I was excited for drama. Like I, I remember saying I wanted drama, and now I got it. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a more dramatic event. Who didn't have their TV going and just complete shock when this all went down? And then who didn't have an opinion after it was all over? Like, everyone went crazy. Yes, everyone... Everyone and their mother had an opinion about the whole thing. I think no matter what you think, like who was right and who was wrong, and if Serena was right, if the, I mean, all of that. Well, but no matter what you think, I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway for me was that Naomi Osaka's moment was really ruined. And I think it was like kind of destroyed. I mean, to be honest, I think that it may have been ruined for a second, but I will say Serena was pretty awesome in the podium saying, you know what, this is her moment. I don't remember feeling like this. And getting booed from the crowd, you know, when I'm winning my first ever Grand Slam. So I will say that that was pretty awesome of her to just tell the crowd to just calm calm their jets pretty much. And uh, yeah, I think a few days, maybe a few hours after everything, I think Naomi's going to realize, hey, I just won the U.S. Open. No big deal. Uh, so whatever happened in that moment, she always be a U.S. Open Grand Slam champion. That's true. I mean, no matter what, the takeaway is that she won the U.S. Open and made history as the first Japanese player to win a slam. I mean, no matter what, that's that's the facts of it. But the awkwardness of being there, for the, especially for the trophy presentation, where, like, Naomi kind of had her, her visor over her eyes and cried, and, like, those were not happy tears. It was pretty clear that she was distraught over the booing. The crowd obviously wanted Serena to win because of Grand Slam number 24. She's American. She's Serena Williams. I mean, I get it. But um, I think... Naomi played the better match. I mean, she was in control of the match no matter what. Even if there wasn't a point penalty, even if there wasn't, I think, even the game penalty, I think I still think Osaka would have won. Which is kind of, I think, clear, no matter what everyone says about the injustice of it all. Like, it's pretty obvious Osaka was going to win. It's so hard to live in a, in, in a world of hypotheticals. I mean, there was one reporter I remember listening from the press room. He asked, he's like, do you think you would have been able to come back? And even she said, she's like, that's a good question, but no one can answer that. We're never going to have another moment like that. It just can't be replicated. You can't go back in time and be like, okay, let's do it differently. And yeah, I think no matter what, no matter what opinion you may have, Naomi was playing good ball. She was, she had an answer for everything that Serena threw at her. 
And yes, we all know that Serena is a 23-time Grand Slam champion. She has come back from behind many times. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm full credit to Naomi. That's that's all I'm going to say about it. For anyone that's been living under a rock, what happened was she got a warning for coaching in early in the second set after losing the first set pretty handily, 6-2. And then Serena reacted pretty badly to that because... I mean, she didn't see what her coach Patrick was doing, even though he would later admit to coaching, which was really awkward as well. Probably shouldn't have done that, but he said everyone was coaching, which then made it even more weird. But then she reacted pretty negatively to that. She probably didn't see what he was doing because she was on the really far side from him. And then she got a point penalty earned justifiably because she broke her racket. And then the game penalty came like many games after the coaching warning because she was still amped up and yelling about it. I mean, she started yelling at the umpire and a changeover at 4-3. It was her fault for not letting it go, I think. I mean, you're a veteran. You've been doing this for your whole life life like let it go but she didn't and that hurt her and the umpire was probably way too quick to pull the trigger so i mean there was just so many things going wrong and the crowd just booing and it was a closed roof so it was so loud and they couldn't hear what was going on like you could only hear if you're at espn if you're watching espn so not everyone knew what was going on serena and osaka didn't know what was going on and it was just chaos and booing and awkwardness and honestly, I wish I wish Naomi wins more Grand Slams because she deserves to have another chance to have like that full the way that she dreamed it, you know, like the way that she imagined it. Because every kid does that, and even her photo shoot was ruined because it was raining and she couldn't even go outside. I mean, uh, look, there were just so many different variables, and depending, I mean, all love to you because I get it, you're with the media, but I saw newspapers the following day and the way they were wording things i mean they just were not telling the whole story because a lot of things were not shown a lot of things were not heard about and if you were watching the match and you saw she just kept coming at carlos ramos and as the usda wta a lot of people were saying he's a very well respected even serena said she's like he's an unbelievable umpire so I just think that there were just way too many things happening to where you could just say that was right and that was wrong. Um, it was just a very, very unique, unfortunate situation. But like I said before, Naomi was playing amazing. At the end of the day, Serena ended up getting $70,000 in fines for um, all of the three penalties she got. And the ITF released a statement saying that they supported the umpire's decisions and um, he went by the rule book and all that. I mean... This is going to be probably debated about forever, but at the end, I mean, I, I still think what matters here is that Naomi won and made history, and she needs to, she needs to win more slams now because she needs to, you know, realize this dream again and, and, and live it right. If she continues playing the way that she played at US Open, considering how many matches she hadn't won leading up to it, I mean, what a great turnaround for her. Let's be honest. She had not the greatest start to the summer hardcourt season, and she comes out and just wins the US Open as one does. I just, I think it's amazing. She's had a hell of a year and she's, she's made history. Like you said, That's all that matters really. The, the drama hopefully won't be highlighted and shown over every time anyone mentions her in the U S open. But I mean, I could, to media, media, I blame myself, loves the drama. I get it. I mean, that's what's worth talking about. That's what everyone was talking about. I mean, I was getting random texts from random people. Hey, what's your take? And, uh, I just, it's, it's, it's such a, tough situation to talk about and then we haven't even mentioned the whole curious thing getting uh the coaching uh from an umpire an umpire and uh that was also extremely debatable and i didn't hear what was happening but everybody that listened to what happened on the court and just heard that snippet oh curious comes back 
and gets coaching from the umpire. I just think that it, there was just so much speculation around that as well. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a U.S. Open to remember, I'll tell you that. With Serena's umpire situation, of course, like Sexton got brought up because partially because of Nick Kyrgios having his own umpire thing before, and he didn't get penalized for that at all. But at that point, it was the umpire coming down to him, not really him doing anything other than not trying, apparently, and, and not putting his best effort. And there's 2018. There's lots of room to talk about gender differences. But let's just, I mean, I, I can't even go there. I mean, obviously, guys have said crazy things to umpires. What Serena said, there was no swear words. She definitely should have stopped ranting and didn't, but she did call him a thief, I think a liar. I mean, that's not as... It's not that bad. It, it, it just depends on the day and the, the setting, and it was not a good setting. So it, in any case, the part that really, really weirds me out is that it all started because of this coaching thing. And coaching is allowed at WT events outside of the slams, and coaching is allowed in qualifying because I watched you play qualifying, and you walked over to your coach, and I was like, what are you doing? So you, the Grand Slams, I mean, it started off last year at US Open qualifying. They decided that they were going to allow coaching Pretty much you could just talk to your coach as if you're just in a practice situation and be like, hey, what am I doing wrong here? Um, not a lot of people uh, were against it. Not a lot of people spoke about it. But, you know, it was just kind of brushed aside. No one really said much after that. Uh, and then it came up again at the French Open. Uh, Wimbledon, it was not there. And then U.S. Open decided to renew it. So I just think it's it's one of those things where you either have to make up your mind. Is it happening? Uh, Mary Jo Fernandez, one of the commentators for ESPN, she said something. She's like, look, everybody knows it's happening. They have to just figure out a rule like that's very black and white. You either allow it or 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 not. But you know that everybody is doing it. And um, I think that Patrick Muratoglu, I mean, he said it. He's like, look, everybody does it in matches. Tony, Uncle Tony does it to Nadal in every single point. I think that the umpires need to be aware of that it's happening. And I think that the WTA ATP has to come up with some sort of solution. Uh, I've actually thought that it would be really cool to have a Davis Cup and Fed Cup kind of situation to where if you want to coach, you can have them on the bench at all times and just be cool about it and just have it happen. And everybody knows that if you want some coaching, it's there. If not, then not a big deal. Um, but I just think that if it really is happening at all times at every tournament with every single player, why not just make it legal? It's ironic that this whole thing was around Serena, who doesn't ever call her coach to her during WTA tournaments. Like, it's ironic. I like the idea of having a coach, but I also like the idea of tennis being individual and you just being there by yourself. So I don't know. I'm kind of torn on what I would, what I'd want to see. I don't hate having coaches more involved. I remember it uh, last week, the U.S. Open, they got her coach Sasha into press room, and I was like, well, this is kind of cool. Like, I kind of like hearing what the coach has to say. I mean, that's their entire life revolves they're working with the coach. It's kind of cool to see that part of it. But in any case, we said Naomi. I mean, the facts of the day is she won the U.S. Open. She made history. But the facts are also that Serena's comeback is pretty much complete. Her ranking is now top 20. It's not all the way back up. But two Grand Slam finals, I mean, it's pretty complete. And then Novak Djokovic, we messed up if we didn't mention him. He won both Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, which Serena was one match away from doing um, at both slams. So his comeback is complete. And coming up next in this podcast is Bethany Maddox-Sands, who won the mixed doubles at the U.S. Open with Jamie Murray. I caught, her, I caught up with her at the U.S. Open before she played the final, so she had, was not yet 
champion. But she's won mixed doubles before. She's won Grand Slam double toes before. She's kind of done it all. And I uh, got to t- chat with her for a good half hour in one of the press conference rooms at the U.S. Open. And you're going to hear from her and her philosophy on the comeback, which is actually pretty cool because she's just living it. And her comeback, I think, is also complete because she's a Grand Slam champion again. She said it herself uh, in her trophy presentation that last year she was in crutches. And uh, the following year, she's winning a Grand Slam title. She's now won eight. And yeah, that's pretty remarkable. No matter what field you're in, to be able to have that kind of comeback is is amazing. So can't wait to hear what she's got to say. It's fun to talk to her. So we'll have her up next. Um, thanks for listening in. And here's Bethany Maddox-Sands. Thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast. Yeah, of course. Um, so Anytime with you. Oh, awesome. So <laughs> what I want to talk about is the comeback, just because you're still kind of deeply in it. It's only been about six months. Yeah, um, yeah, I think so. What are you most happy about? I think I'm really proud of the progression that I've made. In a sense, I've once I've gotten back on the court, I felt like in the beginning I was a little impatient. I really wanted results to come quick. And in that moment, I lost track a little bit of what I could control because throughout my rehab, I was really at the mercy of what I could do that day. I could only bend my knee so far one day, and I could bend it maybe two degrees the next day, and it had to be a win. That had to be good enough for that day. And I feel like when I got back in the court, you know, that competitive nature in me kind of came out, and I wanted to win it all, whereas I've made really good progressions and adjustments as I've gone. You know, at the beginning, you know, I maybe recognized where I wasn't um, moving quite as fast or I wasn't recovering quite as fast. My first step wasn't quite as quick. My split step, I was a little bit back instead of forward. And so it was every week I noticed something and, you know, rather than get discouraged, I made the adjustment. And so I think that that's what I'm most proud of is, you know, that week in and week out progression, even through some losses or some tough weeks. And, you know, in the end, here I am giving myself a shot at a grand slam title. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. Are you surprised by how quickly you kind of just hop back in, you know, <laughs> lightning fast? Yeah, you said there's some ups and downs, of course, but, like, everyone has that. Even Serena had that. I mean, I think just how quickly you're, you know, Grand Slam final already. Like, it's kind of cool. I, it is really cool. And I, it's funny because my husband and my coach, you know, try and put that in perspective for me because, I'm, like I said, once I came back on the match court, I'm like, I want to win everything. Like, I think I, you know, I still knew I had it in me. I still had the fire and the desire and the passion to play and, you know, the love of the competition. And with that, you know, it's, you sometimes start to focus on wins versus, all right, this is like, everything was great. This is what I need to work on for next week. All right. Everything was great. This is what I want to work on for next week and still have that progression. And, you know, so for me, you say fast and it really is fast. And I got to give myself that, that credit because in my mind, I wanted it faster than that. So, um, but that's, you know, a part of that is, the reason I'm a professional athlete. And so I, you know, I'm not discouraging that side of me that's kind of pushed myself, but at the same time, it's keeping it in perspective as well, because there's so many things that I've controlled and I've adapted and adjusted week to week. And, you know, keeping that the same attitude that I had while I was gone, because it was important for me to kind of stay in the moment and enjoy the journey no matter where I was. And so that I could, I was doing it through my rehab And could I do it through competition and through some down weeks or some off weeks? And I feel like I really have. And I so then in retrospect, I don't think I really had any off weeks. I was improving every single week and playing some good tennis. 
and you, you can't just kind of pin your happiness only on results. Um, and that's kind of what I've learned a little bit in this journey. Like there's a lot of other wins that I've had. You have been like a really positive attitude. I think that must have been key because when it happened, like at Wimbledon last year, you were on top of the world. Yeah. I mean, singles, you were thriving. Doubles, you were number one. Wimbledon is the only grand slam you've yet to win in doubles. And, I mean, was there any bitterness? Were you just like, why me? Were you no. mad? Was it, was, did you, could you see him like you're... I mean, obviously now we're looking back. So the hindsight's there. Yeah, you know what? I knew all that momentum had stopped. Trust me, I knew the momentum I had. How I was flying high on cloud nine and feeling awesome about my game, about where I was going. Like you said, when we were the last one, we were number one seeds. I just won all three slams, a gold medal, and, you know, that happened. And I really had to focus on not being negative and saying, why me? Because at the end of the day, that was never going to help me get back to where I wanted to be. Or even enjoy I shouldn't even say get back to where I want to be. Because my whole thing is you have to enjoy your life where you're at right there. If we're always just reaching for these peaks or these goals, you realize there's so much of life that you're then kind of sucking it up for. And to me, those those peaks are great, but they only last a couple. It's a day, and it's like the next tournament the next week. The draw's already out. Like it's the celebration is small. And trust me, I I can celebrate my real gold medal or my Grand Slam trophies for the rest of my life, but. You know, it's at what point are you, you got to stay in the moment. You got to be enjoying the moment. And at that time it was, I was on crutches and couldn't get out of bed. And you know, how, how was I going to enjoy it? And I think it helped that I've been injured before and I was upset about being injured and I was pissed I wasn't out on the court. And so when I got injured again, I said, I'm not going to do that again. Because looking back, look at everything I did after that. I had two hip surgeries. I achieved all my slam titles, my gold medal after my hip surgeries. Why was I so pissed during my mis- my surgeries? No reason. Like I just I spent you know those three months being pissed I wasn't playing tennis, and yet I came back and did better than I ever did before. So really, what like what if I just had the best three months of my life and came back and did everything I did? I would have been winning too, <laughs> and I would have enjoyed my life. So I think that's the perspective I kept, and not saying. It wasn't a challenge, but it's it's actually a habit. It's really starting your day with a perspective that this is how what I believe in. This is the process that I'm going to go through. This is the energy I want to give out because that's what I'm going to get back. And it's just a decision. So at the end of the day, I could I would let myself. I would say, yeah, Bethany, look, you can go cry. Like you can be negative. That's fine. Do you want to? And I'd really have like a little voice would be like, nah, I don't like. I don't want to be mad. Like that kind of sucks. And, and I would turn it around. So, and it just, the more you kind of are used to being in that habit, the easier it gets. And the easier every morning you wake up, find something you're appreciative about. And that's, that's really how I start my day. That's how I've done it for a couple of years now. So, you know, I think some people say, wow, like, look at it and say, yeah, you just can be positive no matter what. And it's, you know, we have a choice on our attitude. And, you know, for me, I just, you know, had that, face-to-face talk with myself in the mirror saying, well, if I have the choice, you know, I can choose to be pissed or I can choose to be upset or I can choose to do other things that I can do or that I want to do in life. And so I'd all, you know, as tempting as, you know, those emotions that take you to the left, I was like, you know what, I, I want to be happy. Actually, it feels good to be happy. So what's going to make me happy right now? You do some happy all the time. Yeah, I, and really, I, I am. And it's not that, it's not even that I fight negative emotions because it's good to know... Uh, 
where you stand a little bit because contrast is good. It just shows, like, if you're, if you're feeling something, you're feeling bad about something, it just shows you more clearly what you don't want, which shows you even more clearly what you do want. So then you can just be appreciative for that moment that, wow, it's clear that I don't want to go down this route. Thanks, negative emotions, for showing me that. And I can choose to go this way. I think some people just think they don't have that choice. And that's where they thoughts, kind of negative thoughts, keep rolling. And just it's a snowball effect then to the left. And whereas I kind of halted from the beginning and asked myself which way I want to go. So a little, little bit of a different process, but it's practice. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, um, for me, yeah, it's for me, what helped me was I would, if I felt really negative and I felt like I couldn't bring myself up out of it, I would go to, I save a lot of quotes on my phone and I would, and it's quotes I saved when I was feeling good. Like when I was feeling positive, so I'd read these quotes and I'd be like, all right, I do feel like that is right. Like, I do believe that. Okay. And so I would just read quote after quote until I felt myself feeling a little bit better about my situation. And then, you know, I would go out and do whatever. But you also posted a lot. I think you kept your fans like so glued in on like everything. Like, yeah. When you're in the hospital bed, when you're rehabbing, when you're crutches, when you're your first tennis ball. Like, yeah. You're, you're so good at that. Like, yeah. that's a skill as well. Like, some yeah. people don't have that. You have that natural, like, social media, I think, like, like presence. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I, you know what? I, because, you know, my injury happened on TV on one of the biggest stages in the world at Wimbledon, I wanted to keep people kind of clued into what my process was. And it, in a way, it was helping me, too, because before I got injured, I had put out a quote that, you know, something to the effect where uh, your circumstances don't determine your attitude. And that was like two days before I got injured. And I was like, oh, my God. I had to put that quote out there. And now i got to either own up to it or say, no, I'm going to bitch because my circumstances are really bad now. <laughs> so I um, accountable, basically. Yeah, I held myself accountable. And, put it out there. Yep. And it helped me. I always found a quote that wasn't just positive to be positive it had to be a truth because we can't really lie to ourselves we can't just say hey my day's great when your day's not great but you can find something good where you're like ah, uh, that is good and you, so that's what i say is like don't just say hey i gotta be positive oh my life's great like and you don't believe it like find good things that you appreciate that you do believe and that's what makes that attitude transition a little bit easier. and also while you were going through this time rehabbing and your social media, you're busy, but you also did tennis channel and you killed it. Yeah, no, I was doing tennis channel. I was doing USTA social media. I was doing ESPN and I really found other things that I was passionate about. You know, I've played tennis since I've been five years old and there's a moment where, you know, that tennis is your career isn't going to last forever. And then you're thinking, well, what else can I do? And I've only done tennis forever. Like there's nothing else. And I think that gave me the opportunity to realize there are other things in life that I'm passionate about, that I'm good at, whether I want to stay in tennis or whether I want to go back to school or do something completely in design, um, fashion, interior. You know, I just, I realized I had a lot of interests outside of tennis. And, and it's interesting because that it, you would think the incentive for going back to tennis would go down, but it made me realize how much I really did love tennis. And I feel like I could really go back and enjoy tennis because you know, it's not, I wasn't doing it because I had to, or that's all I knew what to do. I was doing it because that was my choice. That's what I love to do. And so I want, I would encourage, you know, a lot of players to, to kind of keep that life balance in perspective to see what else they're good at, what else they're passionate about. You know, it could be 
starting a foundation. It could be going back to law school. I mean, you never, you never know kind of what, what they're thinking. We've just always, you know, been in tennis day in and day out since we've been really young. So it was a good, it was a good time for me though. Like right now, for example, like Shelby Rogers is on Tennis Channel. She's doing some, some coverage. Yeah. And did you, did you, did you ever, did, you, did she talk to you at any point? Yeah. And Shelby actually called me and we talked a few, a few times, obviously, because she had her knee surgery. So she was asking me everything from rehab to being patient to coming back to doing Tennis Channel. And I feel like she, she's tearing it up too. I think she's a very social, personable person too. And I think she did a really good job and, you know, I think it's something that she realized she could enjoy the time and pass the, pass the time as well. Like you fill your days, you're busy, you feel like you're doing something. And, you know, we're so used to training and working hard and, and doing all these things. We can really take all of those good qualities that have made us really good professional tennis players and bring it to another arena and blossom. So I, you know, I kind of told her that, expressed that to her. And I feel like you know, she's one that she enjoys her life as well. She has friends outside of tennis, and I feel like she's she's pretty balanced in that that way. And I hope, you know, I want to see her back on the court, obviously. And you know, there's no need for her to rush it. And I think she's doing all her rehab and training. I mean, she's fitting it in around the hectic media schedule, but you know, she's she's crushing it. And I think that's what's going to help her kind of enjoy her life in the interim while she's not on the tennis court. And then when she is back, she'll appreciate it. Um, and then, have you thought about? hey, I want to play for two more years, five more years, ten more years, and, like, you kind of clearly have proven you have tons of skills outside tennis, even though you're already a badass on it. <laughs> have you thought about it and crossed your mind? I know it didn't while you are injured because you're like, I'm coming back. Um, I know it will come at some point, so I don't put a number on it. I think realizing that I have other things to do in my life that I want to do, um, once I become more passionate about something else other than tennis, then I'll go that direction. You know, each, every week and, you know, at the beginning of every year, I'm going to ask myself, you know, physically, how am I feeling? Like mentally, where am I at? And if I'm feeling fresh and I'm feeling physically like it's a go, mentally, I'm, I got a fire inside, then I'm going to keep going. And, you know, whether it's one more year, two more years, or five more years, it, that's, I'm not gonna. I'm really not gonna put a number on that. I, I don't think it's worth saying. Give it a cutoff date. You just never. Uh, I'll know when it's time, and it will be the right time. Because you need to win one. <laughs> There's something missing there. I threw that out to Lucy too. I was like, don't you like? It's the one. Like you've had Fed Cup titles. You have an Olympic medal. Like we have everything. Like Wimbledon literally is just like dangling out there. So it's kind of good to have something to work towards still, even though you've kind of like done a lot and accomplished so much. It's kind of almost a good thing to have that to work with, work for. But like that's the one that I'm like, when you came back this year, was it weird? Did you feel like I want to like? Just like replace my memories from last year. For a little, you, like for it was a emotional at Wimbledon this year, but I really, you know, once I got on the court and played my matches, I felt confident moving on the grass. I didn't have a moment where I thought about everything from last year, and that was a lot of mental visualizing, getting past that point and and feeling, you know, visualizing my knee feeling good, not just visualizing me winning matches, visualizing my knee feeling great on a volley or on a split step. And I would do that over and over on grass in that moment. So when I was there, I felt really confident in it. And, you know, we made quarterfinals and lost in three. So it was, it, we were close. Um, but yeah, obviously that's, that's the one still out in the universe. It's there. Yeah. I feel it. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> I mean, that's just, it's just awesome. And, um, I think you've had an excellent comeback and only more to come. So Thank I really, you. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, Thank of you course. for talking to me. Of course. Definitely. No, that was fun. 
That was Bethany Maddox Sands. Um, talked to her at the U.S. Open. She is a mixed doubles Grand Slam champion once more. Congratulations to Bethany, and thanks for her time. I've been Nina Pandic with the Inside the Tour podcast on Tennis.com. I've been joined by Irina Falcone, my co-host, and thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. See you later, guys. Catch you next week, and thanks for listening. Enjoying the tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to tennis.com. 